Thank you, Carl, for singing that song. Uh, about three or four years before my mom died, we had a get-together at their house over in Crooked River Ranch. And my sons and my son-in-law were singing this song, Abide With Me. And my mom, after they got done singing, said, I want you to sing that at my funeral. And she died in 2014, and they got to sing that song at my mom's funeral. So I, you probably didn't know that. The Lord knew that. So that was a blessing. I thought, oh, wow, what a time to sing this song. Uh, O thou who changest not, abide with me. Abide with me, abide with me, abide with me. Wow, that's good. In life, in death, O Lord, abide. In triumph still, through cloud and sunshine. Help of the helpless. How many of you here are helpless? You ought to have your hand up. (laughs) I am. Well, and I do want to just take a moment to bless all the moms What you do and how you give and how you pour out and uh, what you go through. I've obviously never been a mom and I don't think I ever will be one. So I don't really know what it's like to be one, but I can imagine, and I don't mean to get negative here, but I I can imagine, only imagine, the types of heartbreak that moms go through. And probably none of you children, I didn't never really intended or wanted to break my mom's heart, but I know I did. And if we were honest with ourselves, we could step back, all of us, and say, yeah, I did. I broke my mom's heart. But they keep on loving. They keep on pouring out. They keep on praying. They keep on praying. If you have a praying mom, and even on top of that, if you have a praying grandma, My advice to you is just give up. You're going to lose. Give up. (laughs) Okay? Bless God for for moms. I thank you. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for my wife, the mother of our six children, 11 grandchildren. Uh, We've truly been blessed. Um. Well, last week, I've got notes off to the sizes as, as I was told. Don't just, it doesn't have to, your testimony does not have to stop just at your salvation. I thought, well, you know, brother, I'm not a young buck anymore here, you know. It's going to take a little time. So I've got notes on the sides of, uh, of my notes. And it says 80s. 
90s, the aughts, teens until now, and we barely got into the 80s last last Sunday. That's what I was stressing. This ain't going to happen if you know if I want to put some depth to this here. So, uh, praise the Lord. We will carry on. I I I wanted. I skipped a little bit of the reading out of Tozer's book because I was felt pressed for time, and I read over some of this again. And I thought, man, I I got to read this to you. Some some of it, just to remind you of the foundation I want to set for the testimony of our lives is God is faithful. Tozer writes, I think it might be demonstrated that almost every heresy that has afflicted the church through the years has arisen from believing about God things that are not true or from overemphasizing certain true things so as to obscure other things equally true. To magnify any attribute to the exclusion of another is to head straight for one of the dismal swamps of theology. And yet we are all constantly tempted to do just that. For instance, the Bible teaches that God is love. Some have interpreted this in such a way as virtually to deny that he is just, which the Bible also teaches. Others press the biblical doctrine of God's goodness so far as to that it is made to contradict his holiness. Or they may make his compassion cancel out his truth. Still others understand the sovereignty of God in a way that destroys or at least greatly diminishes his goodness and love. I happen to kind of think that Calvinist theology kind of does that. They put such a strong emphasis on sovereignty. Excuse me. That I think they miss his compassion. And his love for all, for all people, and the magnitude of sin that the Son of God, Jesus our Lord, took upon himself at his death. Try to wrap your mind around that. What he bore, all sin of all mankind, all of it. And we think back and we can think of. If we look at ourselves, honestly, we're, we're bad enough as it is, but think of the horrific things that have taken place over the centuries of exceedingly wicked leaders. All that iniquity, all that sin, all that death, all that murder was placed on God's own Son. It, it's, it's astounding to think about. Yes, He is sovereign. I'm getting on a rabbit trail here. I beg your forgiveness, but but it is truly amazing what he did for us. And I guess, again, I guess in a certain way you think about it, he proved his faithfulness to us. That he would fulfill his promise and make a way for each one of us to have hope. Have that hope we talked about earlier. Okay. We need not fear to let the truth stand as it is written. There is no conflict among the divine attributes. God's being is unitary. He cannot divide himself and act at a given time from one of his attributes while the other, while the rest remain inactive. All that God is must accord with all that God does. 
Justice must be present in mercy and love in judgment, and so with all the divine attributes. Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. Every heart can make its own application of this truth and draw from it such conclusions as the truth suggests and its own needs bring into focus. The tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged may all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father is faithful. He will ever be true to His pledged word. The hard-pressed sons of the covenant may be sure that He will never remove His loving kindness from them, nor suffer his faithfulness to fail. Happy the man whose hopes rely on Israel's God. He made the sky and earth and seas and all their train. His truth forever stands secure. He saves the oppressed. He feeds the poor. And none shall find his promise vain. God is faithful. He's faithful whether you're on a mountaintop right now or you're in a deep, dark valley that he's seem to can't find any ray of light that's there. He is still faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. And in considering all his attributes, he's faithful to be all of who he is and what he is all the time. There can never be a time, there can never be one second where God changes. Never. He's that faithful. Okay. I got, I got stories to share with you. To show just that. My wife and I got married in 1982. Be 41 years this September. And we started having children. And bing, 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 here they come along. And we had four and four and a half years. And I, have, I don't think I've ever learned more about my relationship as a child to the Father than through my children. When you get your families, God will reveal himself in ways you could have never seen before through your children. I've shared this story before, but for those that haven't heard it, I've got to share it again. My daughter, two and a half years old, two years old, tucking her in bed one night. And she looked up at me and said, I love you. And of course, my heart just melted. Oh, man. I love you too, sweetheart. And I walked out that bedroom door. And I started walking down the hall. And a little tear came to my eye. Never forget it. God spoke to me. He said there, now you know how I feel when you look up to me and say, I love you. 
it just blew my mind away. I thought, I can make God cry? You can make God cry. You want to make Him cry? Just look up to Him and say, Lord, I love You. It melts His heart just like mine did that night. Just like yours, your parents out there, just like yours do when your children do that to you. It melts the heart of God Almighty. Just tell Him that you love Him. Oh, man. That's all you got to do. And none of us here are perfect. None of us here deserve that. But He longs for that. And He doesn't make us. He didn't make you a robot. He made you to have that choice. That's why it even thrills Him all the more. Because he sees you are making a a choice to love him. You're not just a robot that's just filling out his desire because he made you that way and that's that's how you're going to be. You can't help it. No, you have a choice. Very, very thrilling if you think about it in the right way. Oh man, I had to share that one again. Speaking of God's faithfulness, my wife and I, we got married. I had one more year of school at at Oregon State. And uh, we got down to the end. And I had five weeks left to get my bachelor's degree. And this is humbling. Oh, man. Five weeks away. And I got scared. And I bailed out. I know, she looks at me like, huh? I don't blame you for looking at me like, why did you do that? Good question. I was young, married young man. We had a baby on the way, I guess. And I just needed to grow up, really is what it, I needed. I needed to mature and grow up. It's really what it boiled down to. So we bailed out. We moved back to Madras for a little while and out of disobedience to God, because I knew God had spoken to me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then later I found out, my wife said, yeah, he told me the same thing. We moved, we borrowed $1,800 and moved to San Diego, California. Uh, there was work down there. And uh, this was in the mid early 80s, you know, the economy. <laughs> you don't remember. You weren't there, most of you. Uh Late 70s and early 80s, um, the economy was rough. It was in the tank. And interest rates on a house, double digits, pushing 20%. My wife and I borrowed money to buy a car in 1982, and we were thrilled at 13%. Interest rates was that high. Unemployment was over 10%. Inflation rate was over 10%. All the key figures were all double digits. It was rough. 
So, so we, we borrowed money, moved down there. Knowing kind of full well, we're, that God's gonna, he's, he's gonna bring us back up this way, cause he's got something up here for us to do. And, uh, while we were down there, I ended up getting a pretty good job at a, at a, uh, asphalt plant as a dispatcher. Held a promising future, big company, strong company. Things are looking up for Mike and Joanna, and they got a good job, and some family members are kind of, yeah, good, 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 good. You're getting your feet underneath you, you know, and Mike's growing up a little bit. And and so, uh, but all the while, deep down we knew, eh, I don't know. And uh, some of you may remember uh, I ended up getting a, a job, uh, no, it wasn't even a job offer. It was uh, it was a uh, invitation for an interview for the post office in Warm Springs on the Indian Reservation there. And it was just part time job, and I was just going to throw it away. And something inside me, no, 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 no. Don't you throw it. You pick that up and okay, okay, okay. My wife and I. We were just wanting to know from God, do we send this piece of paper in and say we will take the interview or do we just throw it away? And we went through Proverbs. because We didn't. We need some wisdom. Said, Lord, we need some wisdom. What do we do with this? Where do you go for wisdom? We go to Proverbs. We read through Proverbs. And we read through almost the entire book of Proverbs. And the next morning... I got up and I start and I, I read the verse that says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." And I knew, I just knew, God was saying, "Cast a lot, Mike. Cast a lot." That's like flipping a coin to decide your your career. Here, this is going to affect the rest of your life, and you're going to flip a coin. And God would say. Yeah. Do you trust me? I'm faithful. So we took that morning, we took a baseball hat I had of mine, took two pieces of paper. One said, send it in. One said, throw it away. And we prayed. And as I said before, I already knew which one I was going to pick. I knew what the Lord was going to have us do. But God just... That's okay. You need a little proof from me. That's fine. I'll make sure you pick the one. And sure enough, it was send it in. And I quit my job, my good career position. And went to work up in the, the post office. I was going to be a mailman for 30 years and retire. Only after three months, I got fired. That didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out and uh, and I sincerely tried I mean it was it, it was it was an interesting situation and so there we were I was working in a part-time little convenience store making two dollars and 85 cents an hour and with a family of three at the time uh, no 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 two just two and uh, <clears throat> and so we you know, got through that summer and are just pondering life and what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And of course, the, the the logical thing to do. I was one term away 
from finishing school. Let's finish school. I don't know how we're going to do it, but it, it makes sense. I'm, I'm that close to a bachelor's degree. Whether I get a teaching position or not, I don't know. We didn't know, but it just made sense, and it seemed right. And uh, I had a, a former neighbor of mine. After we had made this decision, he, he lived in Portland. They were next-door neighbors to Joanna and I that, that year in Corvallis that we lived. Phil and Kim. Phil graduated, had a good position in Portland. He's a dear brother in the Lord. And we, we just really connected with him. They were sweet. He called me up. You talk about people crossing your path at the right time and God giving direction to some individuals at that right time. Phil called me up after Joanne and I had decided we're going back to school. He had a job to offer me in Portland. That's why he was calling it wasn't the greatest position, I mean, you know, in the world, but it was something. But before he got to that point, I told him, we're going to finish school. And that told him, that was the Lord telling him, okay, I'm not getting in the way of this. God is giving Mike some direction here. And far be it for me to get in the way. I'm not going to offer this job to him. He's got better direction. And he never said a word. I, I, I think of that. I think, man, Lord, you are in control. We talk about God's sovereignty. He is sovereign. Look at this. All the things. And so, it gets to be the fall of 1985. And we've got our path out in front of us set. And I get a phone call from San Diego, California. My former employer. Hey man, we hear you need some work. We got a job. You can have your old job back. Oh man, why do you do this to me? And so we were in turmoil. I said, can I have four days to think about it? Yeah, that's fine. We prayed and we sought the Lord and what did we do? And in the meantime, all of Joanna's family had found out. And they're, they're saying, yes, yes, come on. Don't be a fool. Take this job. And the night before, I, I had to make a phone call and tell the guy, yes or no. Tell my former boss. We went out to uh, a little church out, a country church out there in Eastern Oregon. My brother was teaching out there, kind of through the church he was going going to, and, and uh, we were sharing with him all that's on our hearts and the dilemma that we're in and, and the turmoil, and and he again. God sending someone by your path to say the right thing at the right time. He had a question. He said, well, is there confusion in this whole thing since this came up? And it was like the light just came on. And we both said, it's been nothing but confusion. 
And that was God answering our prayer, speaking to us, telling us, see, California is not for you. You have the path set in front of you, and my blessing is there. This is what I want you to do. I want you to finish school. And so we turned it down. And with some, some, it didn't, it didn't go so well. I didn't talk to my father-in-law for two and a half years after that. And we're thinking, we're just trying to follow Jesus and do what he wants us to do. Sometimes it gets expensive. But, remember what I just said, it was two and a half years. So it came to an end. In relationship, got restored, time went by, and things were fine. But still, that was tough. I had a, I had a good job offer. It's like, you really want to raise your family in a big city. Well, there's missionary families and lots of families that, that do do that. But, man, I, I, God bless them. I, I, I'd rather not if I don't have to. But that was quite a challenge. That was quite a test of our faith. Knowing that we were given direction and had to make a decision according to that direction from, from God, knowing it's going to upset people. And without trying to put wedges between hearts, knowing that's what it was going to do. Brethren, that's how it is sometimes. I I wish I could tell you, no, everything's going to be rosy. It's not. And it may not be with family members. That's, you know, we talked about that last week, uh, Benjamin, about the verses of hating your father, mother, children, uh, families. What does that really mean? God's call is to love Him more than anything. Even your own families. If I want to love my family the most, then I need to love God the most. That's the best thing I could do for my family. Even if they don't understand. And if, even if they don't see, the best thing I could do for them is to love Him. And sometimes that takes faith. A lot of faith sometimes. That's okay. That's hard, but it's okay. That was a hard journey. I got to share with you one more. I think I've shared it before, but not everybody maybe has heard this one. Before we get into the 90s, fast track here. We finished school. God helped us. He provided for us to get there. <laughs> we were traveling over the mountains. Uh, winter of 85, 86. 
coming over to Corvallis to talk to certain people to get the ball rolling so that I could do my student teaching in that spring, that spring of 1986. And we're heading up almost to the top of Sandy Ann Pass, and there's a pickup pulling another pickup. And the roads were just beginning to get icy and messy. And uh, they start to to kind of go like this and right smack into our car, put us in the snowbank. And you might think I got a little twisted mind here, but my first thought was, we could get some money out of this. And we needed it because, you know, I was going to go back to school and, you know, that meant I had no income. You know, what are we going to do? I don't know, but we're just going to go back to school. And we did. We got $1,300 out of that. 1974 Galaxy 500. So, (laughs) so the Lord provides, you know, he beats up your, beats up your car along the way sometimes, but he still provides, you know, and, uh. So that worked out well. Um, God is faithful. Um, so we we got there. We we graduated and got a teaching job down in Lakeview, Lakeview, Oregon. Anybody been to Lakeview? Anybody? All right. There's a few. All right. Yeah, you've been there, haven't you? Yeah. I taught school down there, Chad, from '86 to '91. And uh, we first moved in down there. We we rented a house. <coughs> Our daughter was three. Had a son, four, and a son about six months at the time. And we had put the, the children upstairs. Well, except for Jeff. He was with us in a crib still. And... We started having trouble at nighttime. Our daughter would wake up just blood-curdling screams. Just, what is going on? And we'd go up there. Honey, what's what's the matter? What's going on? Just three-year-old. Maybe three and a half. And she said, there's dogs. There's dogs trying to get me. And of course, I thought, oh boy, okay, uh, we're in for a fight here. And so we'd pray and we'd rebuke in the name of Jesus, knowing that we're, these are evil spirits. This is not that hard to figure out. And, uh, and night after night, night after night, we took it to our little church that we were attending there. We were going to a little four square church, little charismatic church there. And, uh, we had people praying. One lady, bless her heart, she she took anointing oil and anointed the fence posts around our. Or I thought, well, you know, okay, that's not gonna hurt nothing, I guess. You know, I didn't say nothing to her. She was trying to bless us, and she just, you know, her heart was was beautiful. Okay, can I say it that way? And I think that's how we need to look at those that differ from us. Sometimes, sometimes, they may do things a little different than what we do, and they look at us and say they do things a little different than what we do, and. Uh, but that's okay, you know. But it was a fight. It went on for, I, I want to say, at least a couple months. And it may not have been every night, but it was most nights over and over and over. Man, Lord, help us. Rebuke this foul spirit in the name of Jesus. And finally one morning,
We went upstairs after we woke up. And our little daughter, Hallie, she's, she was awake. She was awake and she said, uh, you okay? we don't ask her, you okay? Yeah, fine. She said, I, I saw Jesus last night. We said, really? Okay. And of course, us being full of faith, we started asking, well, what did he look like? What was he wearing? All this kind of, well, he was, he was wearing white. He was white. And he held her. Yeah, that's what he does. When you're wondering, you're thinking, where's God? What's going on? That's when he's holding you, friend. When it seems like everything's going wrong. Where's God? Right there. He's holding you. We asked her, what did he say? You know what he said. Isn't going to be any more dogs. And from that warning, there weren't. They were gone. They never came back. And he put her down. He said, I need to put you down. I want to go hold Michael. And then I'm going to go hold Jeffrey. And then he said, and then I'm going to go hold your mommy and your daddy. That's our God. He's that compassionate, that loving, that caring. He cares and he's faithful. He cares about what you're going through right now. And if you wonder where is he, he's holding you. I had to share that one. Oh, man. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's fast forward a little bit. We moved from Lakeview back to Madras, my hometown where I grew up in 1991 and started teaching school there out on... uh, the Indian Reservation there in Warm Springs. And uh, it was a challenge. If we ever send any missionaries out, all you got to do is just put them right over there on the reservation. There's mission fields right, right here in the United States. Of course, every place is a mission field. But if you're thinking of foreign mission field, go to the reservations. Exceedingly dark, spiritually dark, very, very dark. They need Jesus. There's a pastor there that was there when I was going to high school, Pastor Elston of a Baptist church there. He pastored there for 30 years. He said, it took me 25 years to earn their trust. 25 years. 
I taught there for three years. It it was hard. It was it was hard. A lot of those children, you know, they just wanted to be hugged and held, you know. And I still, I, I still marvel that I never came up with head lice the whole time I was there because that I. Somebody would need a hug. Oh, yeah, Mr. Molman, can you give me a hug? I was the gym teacher. I was everybody's favorite. They loved to come to gym class. And uh, Mr. Molman, some of them would want to call me daddy. And I said, ah, that's getting a little too close. But after about a year and a half, I began to realize, you know what, Mike, don't worry about trying to teach them anything. They just need someone to accept them and love them and care for them. And you are the one in the school. And so it's not that I didn't just do anything. It didn't make any lesson plans or anything. I, I mean, but still, I, my whole perspective began to change. This this is your mission field here. And... Uh, but it was hard. Three years later, I found myself going home not even wanting to see my own children. And I realized then that uh, I need to do something different. Uh, this isn't good. So the last year I taught school, I, this is, I'm ashamed of this. This one kid here, it wasn't that he did anything so awful, so bad, but he just pushed, it was the last straw. That he just pushed me pushed my button one more time and I began to snap and he we were playing with this big parachute in the gym there and and this kid was doing what I told him not to do and I ended up pushing him down to the floor and I thought whoa 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 whoa, Mike you can't do this you can't do this and I was at pretty much that point I realized I've got to do something different. But the 90s, over that was just a part of it. In the midst of that, we moved to Colorado. It was a time of real change for us. As we read our Bibles, and we began to see differences and things taking place and practices being done, that I, I looked, I'd, I'd look at what's being practiced in our churches and I'd, what the Scripture says, and I... And I, uh, I, I, what's the deal here? I don't, I don't get it, you know. And uh, one of the big ones was uh, out of Timothy. He says, "I forbid a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man." And yet I saw it all the time, the church that we were going to. And uh, I just, I was never one to be bold enough to talk to the pastor and say, "Why." Can you help me understand this? Because I read this scripture and I see what we're doing in church and I'm confused. I don't understand. I was never bold enough to ask those questions. And, um, And so the Lord put another family across our path. Somebody he got is faithful. Tom and Cheryl Rayburn. And uh, who's just seeking and desiring more at the same time, and so we we became friends. Well, Tom and Sherlyn, we I went to school with them, and so I knew who they were already. And what a blessing that people I went to school with got born again, you know, and and began serving the Lord. 
And so, uh, you know, they, they were just there for us to help us walk through and begin making changes and begin looking at Scripture. And yes, looking at some of the hard topics that a lot of us don't want to face. Divorce and remarriage. And not even so much divorce, but just remarriage after divorce. And uh, just one example there. Uh, there was a couple in our church that, that they'd had an affair. And it cost them both their marriages. And then a few years went by and this new couple wanted to get married. And the pastor was going to marry him, and such. And I, I kind of... I just wrestled in my mind. I think, ah, there's something not right about this. Well, yeah, there's something not right about that. And uh, But just to kind of where my mind was going is I was thinking of, okay, Rod and Maria are going to get married, and Rod was married to Penny over here. And my mind was going to the place of, what about Penny? If we put a blessing on this, we're kind of basically saying, Penny, you're probably not going to want to come to our church. I, I, that's what I was wrestling with. And, and it was, wasn't for a, actually a few years later that I really began to see more clearly God's real heart on the whole thing. But that was just, just one example of some of the things we were learning during this time frame. And so we, we moved away from there, left some dear sweet friends, cried some big crocodile tears as we left them, and moved to Colorado, western Colorado. Home churched over there for a while, and then we moved uh, in 2000, we moved over to Loveland, Colorado to be a part of a church over there. Again, left another good job career with the electric utility Oh, man. I've often thought if somebody ever wanted to come up to me and tell, talk to me about giving up careers and, and businesses and that kind of thing, I said, brother, I'm sorry, you're talking to the wrong guy. I've done that four times. You get no mercy from me. Uh, trust God. He's big enough to take care of you through it all. Um, but 2000 and being involved in a charity church was when deeper church life really kind of started for us. And it's through those times that we experience the joys and the heartaches of church life. And let's face it, there's heartache. There is sometimes. We've all been there. We've all been through it. We know what it's like. It hurts sometimes. And it hurts sometimes when you get to be placed into leadership in 2005. Um, Wow, how do you start lessons learned through all that? God is faithful. Many times... As a leader, you know, uh, you're in the hot seat. And 
I learned that everybody remembers everything that you say. And they're more than happy to remind you. <laughs> I remember times brothers come up to me, Mike, you said this and this and this. And I I did. I don't remember, but I trust you, brother. And so and so you're answering to words you don't even remember speaking. And so it it's just uh, just one of the challenges. But if there's any big thing that I learned, and it's so simple in the fact that it took me trials and tribulations to really learn this, it's kind of humbling, rather humbling. But it's where I began to really sit back and learn and look at people. Like I mentioned last week, God allows us to start where we are. That God is not so much concerned about where someone is today nearly as much as He's concerned about which way they're going. We had a church split over that. I saw a big group of people in our church and I could see where they were going and it alarmed me and it concerned me. And it's not that we have to keep the standards of the church and and you have to buck up and obey. No, it's deeper than that. It's when you see hearts longing for things out there and they begin looking and reaching for things out there. That's where I realized and I learned that I'm much more concerned about someone who's got a white shirt, tan slacks, and black shoes coming to church every Sunday. But I see them longing in their heart to to want to go this way. I'm much more concerned about someone like that as opposed to someone who just got born again. They've still got their black, they like gothic stuff and their chains, and they might even have tattoos. But they're excited about Jesus. I know somebody that started out like that. And he just wanted to get filled with God's Word. He could see it in his life. And he was walking towards Jesus. I'm not nearly as concerned about him as I am about somebody else over here. Which way are you going? Man, if I could sum that all up of the lessons learned, that that would be it. But even through all the all of that, God was faithful. God was faithful. God was faithful to me even when I was very unfaithful to Him. And He proved Himself again faithful when I went back and humbled myself to that same church body that I led. Did a beautiful work in this little heart right here. Which leads me to a few little last illustrations. I'm kind of skipping past a lot of this, but how do you put all the things that 
you've been through <laughs> even into two hours. Nope, I don't. Thank you, but I don't. Bless you for putting up with me, all of you. Um, and we talked about trials and tribulations, God's faithfulness, God's goodness. What's the purpose of all this? The, the, the verse that I thought of, Dennis, was... Uh, Jesus speaking in John 15, you know. I better just go there. That's right. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Why? That it may bring forth more fruit. That we would become more like Jesus, basically. That's fruit. When we become less like ourselves and more like Him, that's fruit. And the pathway is purging trials and tribulations. God doing surgery on our hearts. Digging deep in here, changing this in here. When this gets changed, the fruit of our lives gets changed. People see someone different. People see Jesus. And not me. And not you. And that's His will. That's what He wants. He gets more glory when that happens. When people see more of Him and less of me. As you know, this past February... I went into the hospital in Corvallis there. And doctors talked to me about what I was experiencing and what they wanted to do. And they said, you know, we could put you through a stress test to get you on the treadmill and get you going, or they can also put uh, drugs inside of you to make your heart act like it's under exercise and stress. But they said, with your history, we're going to do without that. We're going to go in tomorrow and take a look at your heart. In other words, they go in with their, their catheters, and they get in there, they shoot the dye in there, and they look and find out, is there blockage in Mike's heart? That's what they decided to do. Dr. Greshner was my doctor. Very nice guy. Very thankful to God for him. It had been 10 years to the month from the first time I went in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I had a stent put in where I had an artery that was 95% blocked. And 10 years later, to the month, I'm in there again. You say, Brother Mike, you weren't behaving. You were eating stuff. You I know, I know. So we get in there, and I thought, well, okay, here we go again. And I get on the table. I was grateful this time. They went in through my wrist. They're going right there. See that little dot right there? 
sort of they poked me and they ran that thing up my arm, right, got right into my heart. And you're awake through this whole thing. And uh, so, and you're laying on a table. And yes, you are at the total mercy of your doctor. And so, okay, I'm I'm laying down. They get me prepped up there, and they they you know they get the thing going, and and uh, they put a little. I'm laying on the table. The doctor's right here on my right side, and they got a they put a little uh, kind of a curtain thing right here so that you can't see him. <laughs> oh come on, you know. And uh, but you can hear him. I can hear him. And I'm laying there, and I'm just okay. Here we go. Um, and all of a sudden, Dr. Grester speaks up. He says, we found your blockage, Mr. Molman. And I, there was a little bit of hope that maybe, 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 it just, maybe they won't find anything. But he did. He found a lot. And, and I thought, well, okay, I guess it's a good thing I'm here. Um. It's not that I really want to be here, but I'm here, and it's a good thing. And then doctor, he's going to start putting stents in. And he found uh, two arteries. One of them was almost completely blocked, 99% blocked. Man, I, the Lord is in control. This is twice now I've done this. I have not had a heart attack. And the Lord is in control. I, I don't know what else to say. And so I'm laying there and I'm thinking of the first time around. The first time around, I was in Colorado, Dr. Dewing, just like it sounds, D-O-I-N-G, Dr. Dewing was my doctor. And I thought, well, that's, that's just like the Lord, you know, he... He calls us to be doers of the word. Well, he himself is a doer of his own. He does his own word. He, lives, he is his own word. So I thought, Dr. Doing is doing on my heart right here. He's doing his work on my heart, Dr. Doing. Jesus is Dr. Doing right here. And uh, the, the kind of interesting thing about that first experience was that, and I think I've shared this with you, is that I remember distinctly Dr. Dewing saying, okay, now there's going to be a real warm sensation inside your heart here in just a second. I don't know what he was doing. He was doing. And, uh, and whatever, and I, and I did. I, I could feel my heart muscle itself get this warm sensation. And then about two seconds after that, both the insides of my feet felt that warm sensation. And I, yeah, I know, it's like, wow, that's weird. It is. Um, but to me, there was an illustration there. I thought, that's just like the Lord. He warms our heart. He changes our hearts from the inside out. He's got to change this first. And then He changes these. Warms them up too so that you can go in His name with a new heart. Remember, go, stand, and speak, it says there in Acts. 
I'll never forget that. And I never forget the illustration. And never forget the name, Dr. Doing. He's doing so when you feel like you're under stress and trials and tribulations are coming your way, you can just say, Dr. Doing is doing on my heart here. Um, that's what it was for me. And so I'm laying there this time around with Dr. Grester and thinking, well, you know what? We get to do this again. You know, I'm kind of, I may as well look forward to it. It was kind of a neat experience. And uh, may as well enjoy the moment while I'm here. I can't go anywhere, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> well, that wasn't what happened. About halfway through this time around, out of the blue, I get pain right here in my heart. It just, and it came up. And it just stayed steady. And I, I said, I'm getting pain in my heart. And they said, about, what would you, what would you number it? You know, they put you on the scale from zero to ten. Where would you label it? I said, about a six. And it was just constant, steady, wouldn't go away. And it wasn't as if I could feel it intensify with every beat of my heart. It just stayed right there. And I got to tell you, it was the first time in my life where I I meant my words to God this time, where I said, God, I'm at your mercy. This doesn't feel like it's going well. And I, I don't know, man, Lord, I, I feel like I might be coming home here pretty quick. I, I honestly felt that way. It was that intense. <clears throat> and what was strange is they kind of, okay, six, all right, fine. And they just kept working away. Oh, I'll tell they care. And, uh, and so I asked them, you know, they, they, they tell you, you know, if you need something more to help relax you, we can do that for you. So they, I, I think they injected something in there. Well, it didn't work. And uh, about 15 minutes later, I asked him again. It didn't work. And, you know, if I ever wanted to be loopy at that time, it was right then. I didn't want to feel this. I wanted to be loopy. And, uh, but it wasn't coming. And... Uh, <clears throat> I could hear him working away, you know, I'm laying there, and I, 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 got, I got a chance to pray for a while, and uh, may as well, you're, you know, you're stuck there, and <clears throat> I could hear them talking and working away, and talk to Dr. Gresher, so I want this size of stent, no, not that, and this, and they're talking away, and I hear him talking to his assistant there, and he's saying things, all right, now get that thing out of there, you know, and, oh, man, this is intense, and, uh, but it didn't, it was different. It hurt. And I thought, yeah, this is how it is sometimes. If you dare have the faith to get up on the table when Jesus calls you to get up on the table and says, I want to do some work on your heart. Sometimes it hurts. Most times it's not fun. But it's 
It's life or death. It was for me, literally, in this case. I didn't want to be on that table then, but I knew there's no chance I'm getting off. I can't. What am I going to do? Get off the table. That's certain death. Why is it sometimes, maybe a lot of times, when Jesus calls us to get up on the table and let Him do His work on our heart, we find a way to squirm off the table and say, I don't like this. Let's go someplace else. Let's do something else. And we don't realize that's the path to death. If we refuse to let Him do His work on our hearts and prove Himself faithful, we will die. You will die. That's a path. Again, which way you're going. That's a path to death. I beg of you, don't go down. Don't go that way. Stay true. The physician knows what he's doing. And you can trust him. I had to put total trust in Dr. Greshner, even when I didn't know what was going on in here. But he got me through. And I will tell you, about 24 hours later, I felt like, wow, this is great. I went to the grocery store. The only thing that hurt was my wrist. That was healing up. I didn't feel anything in here. I had blood flow. I had life going to my literal heart. And God is saying, all I want to do is give you life in here. But you got to let me in here. you got to trust me. I told you last week, so much of your life, if you will choose to follow Jesus all your life, your life will be God testing you. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? There's going to be a lot of times, a lot of things. He's going to put things across your path that won't make an ounce worth of sense. You turned down a job that would have taken care of you for the rest of your life? Yes, Jesus told me to do something different. Will you trust Him? He knows what He's doing. Went back the second time. He got that part of my heart opened up. There was another part of my heart that we talked later. Thought about leaving it. Thought about putting more stents in. We both agreed. Let's just go in and take care of this. So I went in the second time in March. He put four stents in in February. Put another four stents in in March. That time around, again, my heart, it didn't hurt that time. My back is what got to hurt. It's like, what is this? So I'm laying on the, I'm laying on the table again the second time around, a month later. Just intense pain right across the small of my back. Yeah. I can't move. You know, I he's got this thing right in my heart. You know, I can't. What? And so the anesthesiologist gal there, her name was Jenny. I said, Jenny. She was right there. 
Yeah, what do you need? Jesus! Yeah, I'm right here. What do you need? And I don't know what it was this time around what she put in there, but about after about 60 seconds, maybe two minutes, my back just calmed right down, and I thought, man, that was good stuff. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the Lord is good. But every now and then, I'd ask Dr. Greshner, because he's, he's right there, you know. How's it going? He said, oh, it's going really good. Making good progress. I asked him that twice. It's going really good. When you let him do that work in your heart, and you sit still on the table, and whatever it is you're going through, you let him walk you through it. Ask him, Lord, how's it going? It's going pretty good, my child. Trust me a little longer. Stay where you're at. I know it's not fun, but trust me, I will be faithful to you. He is your faithful friend. He is your faithful God. He cannot let you down. And when He calls you to step up, because He wants to do a work in here that's only going to make this more like Him, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He is faithful, He is trustworthy. You can trust Him. God is good and God is faithful, my friends. That's the thing that comes to my mind and my heart as I think of my life and the life of my family, my wife, and he has been so faithful to us. And I can't tell you how many times I've been unfaithful to him, let him down. He's never let me down. He's carried me through some deep places that I didn't want to go through, didn't think I'd go through, but every time, whenever I put my faith in him, it was always good on the other side. And there was more life on the other side. Just like when I let a literal doctor open this, open this thing up, there was life that came out on the other side. It wasn't fun in the process, but it was worthwhile. And I can tell you as an older brother who blinked and 43 years have gone by, it's worthwhile holding on to Jesus. It's worthwhile. That is one thing I, I, I promise you with a 100% guarantee if you will stay true and stay faithful no matter what comes across your path you will never ever 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 regret holding on to his hand and not letting go and determining to endure until the end he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son he says 
You've got to overcome. You've got to stay true. You've got to endure. But he'll be there for you. His hand is there all the time. And when you're wondering where he's at, where yet, that's the times he's holding you. He is faithful. He is faithful. Thank you.